my name is Myla, and I am the editor-in-chief and publisher of Dizzy Books, Dizzy Magazine. Um, so we publish two art magazines. One is called Dizzy Magazine, and the other is a newer children's art magazine called Mishu. And then we also publish art books, and, and we did a cookbook recently, so that's kind of the gist of Dizzy. <laughs> How'd you get into art personally? Well, I was raised, I'm from New York City. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn and I come from a very creative family. I'm very, I guess, privileged in the way that I was given a lot of opportunity to be exposed to and experience art as a young Word. child. So, you know, my parents would bring me to museums and dance and theater. And I, you know, got to do after school programs like ceramics and stuff like that. So I had art as a big part of my life from a really young age. So it kind of was just like this second nature thing. I never thought of it as something that I entered. It was just like always around you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is. That is pretty cool that you were like, maybe even it was just normal to you being around, um, I guess, that world. Do you remember like the first time uh, you got like your personal taste of like the art scene, like um, something where you maybe caught the bug of like, oh, I, I want to like make art or I like being in this sphere? Well, when I was a young kid, I was really into writing. That was what I guess I was drawn to the most. So it's funny because I, I hadn't remembered this until recently, but I had actually made, I don't know how old I was, maybe 11 or that that age range where um, I made this email newsletter and I would write like book and movie Whoa. reviews. And I wish that I could find them, man, because they were probably yeah, so cool. cute and cool. And then um, as I got older, I was, I was into more of performing. Actually, I was like into music. And, and then when I entered college, I connected with um, a lot of peers that were more on the visual arts side of things and I just kind of became a part of this amazing community that was all about collaboration. And I started doing music videos for a friend of mine, Destiny, who's a rapper and a musician, and we were making zines together. So I guess that was the point where I was like, oh, this is really important to me beyond just kind of like having fun and, and creative expression as, as a kid where I was like, maybe this is something that I want to do with my life, which I hadn't considered before in that way. Yeah. I thought um, the part about you um, writing, I thought that that was probably um, a big part of your journey. I read a lot of your poetry. I noticed that like you have poetry on your personal page and then also like scattered through your like YouTube, you have, 
like poems in your description was like poetry like an early like love for you I don't know shit about poetry I have to say personally but like obviously anyone can like read it and it has their own meaning which is like I think the best part about it absolutely um anybody can write it too you don't have to have the same access to resources like art materials or technology writing is a beautiful thing because you know it it can happen anywhere for anybody but yeah it's interesting because poetry is probably the biggest part of my personal creative practice artistic practice but it's not something that i share that much of openly um I always forget that I like have it on my website and I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't because some of them are really old. But yeah, so at a young age, again, like I was really into writing short stories. And at my elementary school, we had this journal, poetry journal that the entire school would participate in called Pandemonium. That was really cool. And it was just like a newsprint, like really big kind of tabloid, maybe a little bigger size. Um, poetry book that students from kindergarten to fifth grade would um, contribute to. And I I guess I kind of stopped. I, I was always writing. I was always journaling, but it wasn't again until college where my focus at school was poetry and creative writing. Um, but again, I think that it can be hard for poets or writers, especially living in New York City, because it doesn't get the same um, visibility or exposure. Not that that's necessarily some something that somebody wants, and I don't know if I really want that with my writing, but there isn't this instant gratification that you get from, like, photography or videos or music. Right. So it's really important to me but it's not something that i share in the same way that i share the other things that i do understood yeah i think i mean i guess i'm skipping around in my questions but i'm just gonna go off kind of what you said um but yeah that point about the poetry and like the digestibility of it not being the same as like photography or or video was like something that i wondered um or I thought it was interesting that you made a publication, like you got into making um, like a full magazine, not a zine, like a full fledged magazine. And it's like, it's a tough time because people like are scrolling through their phones. It's like people want instantaneous um, (laughs) things to digest, I guess. I know. So is that like, you just knew like, no, this is a love of mine. It's like actual tangible um, like reading material. So you knew that that was something you wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wonder often why I'm doing it this way. (laughs) (laughs) I really do because it is expensive. Oh my God. I can't imagine. Yeah. And it's a lot of work and it, it is inaccessible in ways. That's something that I have to like confront and be honest with. Like not everybody can see the magazine. Um, But yeah, I think that when the magazine started, I started it with my really good friend Arvid and 
we just wanted to make something that we wanted to see that we weren't that's the best seeing. way that's always yeah. the best way in my opinion yeah i think that's really important i think for anybody that's trying to get into a create their own path it's like what do you want to see um that's going to be what feels the most authentic and it really did start in more of a zine i mean dizzy from the beginning it was perfect bound it wasn't a zine we weren't calling it a zine but it almost was a unconscious development for it to look like and feel like what it does now like that was not really in our um, conversation of like, we want this to be a really beautifully printed, more like art book level thing that just developed, I think, because I got older and because I was noticing and caring more about printing and, and quality. I didn't know anything about it when I started. All I knew was how to, with one piece of paper, make a cut and fold it into a zine like I had no experience with that but we wanted to make something that we wanted to see and also just the ethos of having this physical tangible archive where it it won't go anywhere once you have it you can revisit it I find that for me personally I do not digest online magazines well I will maybe read a headline and then kind of scroll through it it's hard for me to read a lot of text on a screen um even even it's sad because there is a lot of amazing content online and and like my great aunt she always sends me these really cool videos and artwork on Instagram she'll like dm me folk art and weird experimental films and honestly like I click it I look at it I like it and then I leave and I'm like Milo what the fuck like just spend five minutes looking at this thing but I'm the same as many people like I don't sit with something if it's on a screen but if it's a book and I'm in my house and I can step away then I'm spending time with it and that was important for me um that's what I want people's experience to be with the magazines yeah I think like our, um, I mean, I'm, I'm about to be 26. So I feel like for my generation or our generation, uh, we're almost trained to go through, uh, digital things quickly. Like we're meant to like process it and move on. Cause all the platforms we get are, are like made like that to be instantaneous. So I think you're, I think you're right. And, and how you feel about that. And for me personally too, when you're, when you're reading, like you spend more time uh, looking at the imagery and like how it was put together, perhaps. And like, it has this flow to it that we, that like brings us back to when we were younger of like flipping through or like being in school or something more studious. Absolutely. And I think also about the way that somebody experiences artwork, like it's really important for me to represent artists in the way that they want to be seen and show their work in the best way that I can in reproducing it. So Mm -hmm. when somebody makes a painting and you're seeing it on a screen, it's such a different experience than seeing it printed. And I think a lot about analog photography and people that shoot on film 
and I do this too, shoot on film, but then digitize it and post it online. And it's just so interesting because the whole point of shooting on film is that it's this process of printing it, you know, developing it. But I don't know. It's just weird. It's just such a different experience. Were you um, starting to make like publication stuff through your work with like eight ball? Is that how you were like, getting into scenes and bookmaking originally? No, I, I mean, eight ball was around and I went to the eight ball like headquarters and I, you know, went to the zine fairs and then later I participated in the zine fairs, but I wasn't, I wasn't like making stuff with eight ball from the jump. I was more like friends with those people and hanging out there and like getting tattooed. They had this, location in the basement of this sunglass store and this great artist and tattooer Dylan Krauss would stick and poke down there. So I would like hang out down there, but <laughs> it's that been really mud cool guts. Be... No, not at mud guts. Um, they had, uh, I mean, this was years ago. They had a location in the basement of, uh, uh, fuck, what was it called? Retro. I don't remember some, some like, glass sunglasses store in the city and they just let them have the whole basement it was it was cool but that is pretty cool. yeah yeah and it's been really cool to see how eight ball has evolved and yeah. taken on its own life so when you were when you were like sourcing when you made the first magazine for dizzy how were you figuring out how to like source that like actually make the book um that's that's something that's definitely out of my wheelhouse. I wouldn't know um, how to do. Yeah, I didn't either. And we, I mean, Arvid knew how to use Photoshop and he kind of taught me how we didn't know how to use InDesign at all. So we just had to kind of teach ourselves that as we went and we, you know, Google like print book printers. Yeah. It is, it has evolved a lot. And it's crazy to look back on and be like, damn, we didn't know what we were doing at all, but that's fine. And I've learned so much. I'm still learning the technical stuff and I'm still learning about the paper that I want to use and mm-hmm. the binding. It's not something that I have like this really solid knowledge of. I'm definitely still learning um, about it. So yeah, in the beginning, we were definitely just winging it and somehow it kind of worked out. But like the printer that we used in the beginning, they did not print art books. They were printing like probably office brochures and shit like that. <laughs> so looking back on them, like the quality was bad, but it worked. And it, I think it's still in our community of zine makers and people that were just printing stuff on photocopiers and stapling them. We were all like, wow, this is amazing. So exciting. Perfect bound. Like, so I didn't even know what perfect bound was. You know, I had to Google all the terms of different bindings. So we we didn't know what we were doing for sure. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's interesting too. Like, I feel like that, that weight does matter. Like when I pick up an art book and it's like heavier, like thicker pages, like it, it feels so nice rather than like, a really thin like time magazine or or something it like feels like more disposable or less like yeah. less care went into it, i guess for lack of a better term so i 
I'm sure that that is a process over time, figuring out like what's the best weight to use, something as simple as that. Totally. And I think that if we were making something that was, I don't know, about current events, for example, mm-hmm. it would be different. But the importance of it being an archive of an artist's work, I think, needs more quality or higher production or something. Yeah. yeah. How do you how do you decide who you feature? How is that um, process for you guys? So a few different ways. And and the last few issues have been different than how we began it. The last few issues have been country specific. So we did Japan, Mexico and Jamaica. So Japan happened because I was kind of on and off living there, visiting there a lot. And so it made sense for me, I thought, to focus on artists that I was spending time with and around. Mm -hmm. But I want it to always be a range of artists where it's established artists with visibility because that's important to then put them on the same platform as young emerging artists. And then something that's really important to me is highlighting artists who are older and who have had a lifetime of making work, but haven't had exposure. So some of the ways that I'll do that is researching museums or galleries, or, I mean, I am, privileged in the fact that I like I'm a part of a network of artists and the internet really helps but I've found artists like this one artist that I featured in the Japan issue Mariko Mori who's amazing I think I found her looking in a magazine um from like the 90s and I was like I wonder if this person is still making work I have to find her and I did and that was really cool um yeah (laughs) you almost like kind of dig a little bit you like Yes. Dig through archives and, and like personal um, interest for yourself. Um, yeah. And also I just had weird <laughs> encounters with, you have to be so open. If you're interested in featuring artists that are not known in the contemporary art scene, you have to be open to meeting people, weird people, or, you know, older, cool randos. Like one of the artists that I featured, and it's probably one of my favorite artists that I've ever put in the magazine, is this woman, Malka. And she's, I don't know. I mean, I hope she's still alive, but she could be dead by now because she was like 90 when I featured her. And this was like four years ago. But I met her because I was working at the time at this gallery slash shop called Picture Room. And this woman came in and a lot of people would come in and, and want to show their work to us and see if we would, you know, sell their work or show them. And that's a little uncomfortable to have to look at somebody's work in front of them. So typically Be like no or yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So typically we would say, okay, send us your work and we'll take a look and we'll let you know. And this woman came in and I don't know why I just had this weird feeling, but I was like, this woman seems really eccentric and different. And she was like, 
I have this neighbor and she's an incredible older artist and you might be interested in her work. And I was like, you know what? I would love to see it. Show me. And she showed me and it was so not right for picture room, but it was so right for Disney. So I was like, yes, I want to meet this person. I met up with the woman that had come in, Christine, and she took me to Malka's tiny apartment on like the 10th floor and some Tribeca apartment. And it was just covered from floor to ceiling with these gorgeous folk paintings. And she had started painting when she was like 40 years old, had such an interesting story. And I was so, I was like over the moon that I had um, met her and got to put her in the magazine. So those are nice ways to find artists too. Just be open. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, uh, for me, like with this podcast, like it starts from like personal interests, like a lot of the, um, you know, the people I do, I just like want to talk to them, I guess. But also it's like just meeting people and you're like, wait, what is this person doing? You're like, holy shit. <laughs> and then you like kind of just get into it. It's sometimes yeah. it's very natural like that, which is really cool. I love that about New York. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> the yeah. best. You just run into people. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more about the fact that I choose or reach out to people that I just want to talk to. And it's such a great way of socializing where I'm like, I know that this is going to be fulfilling and an intentional way of connecting with somebody because we're going into it, knowing that we're talking about their art. And I don't know, it's just different than going to a party and meeting somebody. And that is a big part of it for me too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to go back to your like video work, were you always shooting video? Because obviously, I mean, you've been shooting like Princess Nokia's videos, like you were saying before, for a long, long time. Because I think that I was in college when the Tomboy video came out. And then I went to the credits the other day and I was like, holy shit, she, <laughs> you know, directed this or whatever. So how, how did you get into directing videos and like high production videos too? <laughs> I love that you think they're high production. That's I, I do. I mean, yeah, I was, I've been I've made skate videos my whole life, but like I, I don't know. Looking at it, looks like professional quality music videos, like uh-huh. about lighting and I don't know stuff like that. Well, so all right, so my dad is in the film business. He's a cinematographer, and he started out making music videos in the eighties. Music videos, and then also he would shoot live performances. And so, but then he he ended up being a gaffer and then becoming a camera operator and doing more feature-length films and documentaries. But he started out in music videos. And I remember he got me a DVD when I was a kid of Spike Jones music videos. And they cool. were so cool. And I would obsessively yeah. watch them over and over, like, from Bjork to Biggie, it was like the coolest thing to me ever. But I never thought I would make music videos. Never thought I would go into the film business. Um, but my brother did, and he became a director and a cinematographer as well. And then when I met Destiny, it was kind of this natural thing where first she asked me if I wanted to cut together um compilations of archive footage and and 
videos that inspired her to project during her performances. Cool. So I first did that. And then we were like, I, I wish that I even remembered the actual conversation that happened, but I think we were like, we should make a music video. And I was in an experimental filmmaking class at my college. So I had access to the computer lab with final cut pro and, and then we made dragons, which was her first video as princess Nokia. And it was so just on the fly. I had one camera. We shot it at her apartment in the Bronx at the local pizzeria and edited it at, at my school. And it just kind of kept going from there. And the higher production looking ones are all just my brother shooting them. He had a nice camera and made them look really good. And that I, was, I saw his name on a lot yeah, of the, it was a family the credits. Pair. I wasn't sure if it was a uh, uh, brother, or, but I assumed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my big brother. And then actually in one of the videos, I think it's... Um, maybe Bart Simpson or one of one of those we used um footage that my dad had shot in the 80s we cut in that so that was cool make it all family (laughs) yeah that is really cool um so a lot of the work later on was more your like like um I guess creative direction and less like behind the camera No, I would always shoot. Um, I would always be on camera as well. So Travis would shoot with his, I think he was using a red and, and I always had my little handy cam camcorder. So you probably have seen a lot of the videos kind of flip throughout high res and then the, um, handy cam DV camera. And so I love shooting, honestly, more than directing. I like being on the camera. So I was always doing that too. I think, um, I think it's the Flava video. That video is like a movie. Um, And I feel like the messaging in that movie kind of is very similar to what I've read is like a lot of your personal like mission. It's like, you know, like pro women featuring women um more giving women more exposure and art scene and um just pushing more positivity i guess on on a wider spectrum um so was that video like very enjoyable to make for the two of you yeah it was amazing and that was all destiny's vision her life her (laughs) words Mm -hmm. and i was just like i'm down to help you bring this to life and to have input on you know the way that it looks and the lighting and the cinematography so we i mean we co-directed all the videos like destiny is amazing and she has such a you know unique sensibility when it comes to filmmaking as well so like kind of what you're saying that was an important part of it was the collaboration and kind of like the sisterhood and I recently found because Destiny and I had this collective called Smart Girl Club. And I recently found <clears throat> recordings of a radio show that we had um, from 2014. I thought I had lost all of them, oh. but um, I found them all. And I'm like, damn, we were so like political and radical. And 
it was really sweet to hear, but it was definitely all about like the sisterhood and women supporting women, women identified people supporting each other. So yeah, that, that video was special to make. It was really gratifying to see it come together. Yeah, see, when I, when I had watched it, I mean, cause I had looked at your uh, personal page too. And like, even a lot of, most of your photo work is like, I feel like showcasing, I'm not sure if it's all like female brands necessarily, but it's like, um, you know, female models of like all different, um, I guess, spectrum of like look and identity. Um, so it just seemed like a perfect fit. And uh, I had read also articles too that um, you saying like, I don't know if you use the word gatekeeping, but that like the art scene is like, these people and then there's the other people that don't get featured so yeah i don't know i I think it's yeah absolutely and it's changed a lot in in my lifetime and experience in the art scene too i feel like when i was starting out making the magazine a big part of it is that i was part of this scene that felt very dominated by boys and um i wanted to change that and now it's very different and way more diverse um and that's really cool to see yeah it should be that way. yeah i mean absolutely i mean it's not like all of a sudden like women are making cool shit that was clearly always happening but you're right like there was like it was boys to use your, boys. To use your words <laughs> I guess to to pivot a little bit again, I love all the like 3D figures that you use uh, like on your website, but also like in the magazine and like at Antilogy, like always seeing uh, your art. And I assume you must have a relationship with who runs Bug Sex. Their stuff (laughs) is also printed at Antilogy and it's like this very like whimsical um, style of art. Uh, How did you guys how do you guys do the art direction? Like, how were those even made? So, I don't know if I can reveal the identity. I don't know if Bug Sex, like, wants who they are. Don't, I just don't, don't even do it. Know. But I have known Bug Sex for 10 years mm. and um, obviously see that they've been designing the 3D characters from the beginning of Dizzy. And it's you know a conversation where i'm like maybe we should have a dog or a flower and then sometimes i'll sketch it and then they'll render it and make it 3d so that's always fun i like having the characters the dizzy girl and that being kind of like a link throughout creating a world is always fun having like a different mascot each issue yeah they're almost like um like an identity, like a logo, because it doesn't like it doesn't have to be like one specific one. It's like more the style. Yeah. Because um, when I was seeing like um, like the bug sex stuff and then the dizzy stuff, like I thought it was all one thing, um, which I guess theoretically they live in the same world. I think they live in the same world, but they are different. Um, I think in more recent years since bug sex started, we've been more conscious of like making the characters for Dizzy ones that wouldn't 
be used for mm-hmm. bug sex. Mm-hmm. So like no bugs. You're not going to see any bugs on Dizzy. <laughs> but yeah, they're they're in the same world. They're coming out of the same hands. So inevitably. Yeah. Are you, uh, how are you doing like the, the website uh, stuff? Like all the, is that a lot of like their work for the 3D renderings on the website? And like, yeah, I love how the website's like, it's very like useful. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, I have nothing. All to, them? Dude, I, it's so I, cool. I, like, like, put it on the website. You know, it's fucking Squarespace. Like, but yeah, they did all the little icons, like the pixely icon yeah, yeah. and the 3D. I have nothing to do with that. I mean, I help, you know, the con- quote unquote concept card. Mm-hmm. We'll sketch it together, but I don't know how to do that at all. What drove you to start Mishu and um, have that like kind of coincide with the Dizzy Magazine collective that you've created? In every issue of Dizzy, there's a 12 and under section. And we did that from the first issue because of our interest in art that kids were making. And I think Arvin and I both had this approach to art making that was really trying to like connect with our younger selves and how important being able to read magazines and have art books because he also similarly was raised in New York city and raised with art all around him and books. And mm-hmm. um, so we were thinking a lot about how we wanted to give that experience and opportunity to other kids. So we were like, let's have a kid's section. And our friend Arthur has a really cool daughter, Reka. And we were like, let's, I mean, we've seen her art. Let's just put her in it. And that's kind of always been my, one of my favorite sections um, in the magazine. And I came up with the concept for Mishu a, a while ago, but it never came to fruition until I, during, you know, the early months of the pandemic, there were these, you know, there, there was a cultural movement um, after the murder of George Floyd and the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement, just really becoming a forefront of, I mean, at least my world and what I was um, experiencing around me. And I was just really trying to think like, how can I use what I do in a way that can hopefully somehow contribute to positive forward thinking and change. And, you know, there's some limitations to what an individual can do. And so I felt like I need to find a way to integrate this into what I already do. And I was seeing, and I had been seeing for a while that the youth of our generation, like the younger generation is so fucking woke and so cool and smart. Like I was on Tumblr for a long time and it was always like the 14 year olds where I was learning from them. Mm-hmm. And I was like thinking a lot about that and how I wanted to create 
a diverse platform for young people to feel seen and heard and validated in an art context. But I think that even though it's an art magazine, art in in a larger context is, you know, tied to identity politics in ways. So I was like, maybe that could be something that helps. And so I was like, all right, I, I need to just go for this. I need to do it. And it's been so gratifying and exciting for me and something I really want to spend more time on cultivating. Um, it's new to me. I have some experience in art education for kids from working at camps, um, creative arts camps and babysitting and stuff like that. But I'm not by any means like a professional when it comes to that art education with kids. So I've had a few friends um, that have more experience with that be involved. My co-editor, Kayla, is um, amazing. She does a lot of the art for it. So I'm blessed to have her involved. But yeah, I'm really excited about Mishu. I really hope that it can grow and expand and reach more people because I personally feel that it's important. So I want to see it thrive. I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. I think if I was in, because it's 15 and younger, right, is, is yeah. the age. I think if yeah. I was in like, I don't know, middle school or early high school or whatever age, like I would want to have that magazine because I would want to see what people my mm-hmm. age were creating because I feel like if I was an artist seeing like, big name artists would be like so out of my realm or something because it's like going to a museum um Mm -hmm. but if you're seeing like wow this person in Wisconsin is making these and she's 10 years old or something I feel like that's like really exciting for a young artist yeah and a big part of Mishu is also intergenerational collaboration so every issue pairs together a grown-up artist with a young writer to make an original cool. piece together. And we have a family section. It, it's all about like bridging the gap between artists of all ages. And Dizzy does that too, but it's not, I mean, there are kid artists, but again, like I said, I make sure to feature our contemporaries and our generation on the same platform as like a 90 year old artist like Naka. So, Yeah. Yeah, I also think that um, I think it's a smart um, and also like a very meaningful just maybe gesture, for lack of a better word, um, to take something that was a feature and make it a full platform, make it like a full magazine to showcase. Because like I used to read Thrasher a lot or something. And there would be like a section of like up and coming skaters and it's like one page. And yeah. it would be like a tiny blurb about each person. But like if they did a sister magazine that was up and coming skaters and they called it obviously something else, but it was the whole thing that like, that would be exciting for young up and coming skaters to read and learn like who, uh, what are yeah. people doing? Yeah. Yeah. To see themselves. I, there was a moment and I, I'm sure that people are still doing it, but I just remember a moment on social media where people were talking a lot about not seeing a character like them in movies or TV or whatever. And so I want a kid to be able to see that somebody like themselves in a magazine. So Mm -hmm. the same. Or have the chance, like they feel the the chance chance that they could get in it. Yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. And taking kids seriously at a young age could change the future of the art world, because if we encourage their imagination and egoless approach and love for working with others, then ideally that can stay with them as they grow and the art scene will be way better. (laughs) Yeah. And also like these kids might be from places where they don't have the accessibility to an art scene, like some place like New York city where art is all around you. Like they might be in a place where they don't have friends that even make it. So they don't know that it's a thing that they could really tap into and have longevity with if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that's, I mean, that's a goal of mine that is something that I need to figure out is how to get it into those hands. So every issue of Mishu, Mishu is a nonprofit. We're fiscally sponsored. And so every issue, I donate 50% of the issue to nonprofits and schools. And I really want it to be a resource for educators where they can use it in their classroom and just find ways, like you said, to get it into the hands of kids that might not just have art around them like I did when I was growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, I remember I, I definitely grew up in a town in like upstate New York that had like an art scene because it had a college in the town that like had a big, Where did um, you grow up? uh, New Paltz, New York. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So they have like the, the SUNY New Paltz has like a pretty good arts program. So like it was definitely all around us, but um, they would have like magazines in the schools, like in our art rooms would have magazines. So having something like Mishu or something in the schools for like kids to look through. Um, it's just like, op- it just expands like a, a child's idea of like what art is or who can make it, like you were yeah. saying. That's what I want. Um, when did you get into doing like animation work? Because I saw that like you are doing like um, videos to maybe coincide with Mishu, like children's videos with animation. So I, the first animation I made was during the pandemic. Um, my good friend Sarah is an animator and she kind of inspired me to make something. And it was a great thing to do during the pandemic because it was really time consuming and kind of like meditative and physical, you know, way to get out of my head. Um, and we're actually, Sarah and I are working now on creating a Dizzy TV channel that will be online streaming in the morning, kids cartoons, and then in the early evening. I, I used to make a lot of studio visit uh films so there will be more of that and then at night there will be like experimental films and music videos and stuff so we're working on that now um mishu tv was a way to have you know accessible online content um along with the magazine and i know a lot of really cool animators that usually make animations for adults or whatever and i was like it'd be cool to ask them to make something specifically for a kid. And I think everybody had a lot of fun with it. So I want to keep it going. Grow it. I think it's such a great idea. Like um, kids are on 
phones and computers so young. So they're not really watching TV the same way. So definitely it's something like going to a website is totally something a 10 year old or whoever would do. Yeah. Um, Also, uh, so with Dizzy TV, I I had definitely seen, um, I had interviewed Dylan Krause a few months ago and I had watched your like studio visit and like my research, like in leading up to that. Mm -hmm. So, So like, how but you said you're gonna have a lot of content that seems like a lot of work oh my god I know I'm actually meeting with Sarah today because I was like up at night the other night being like fuck this is gonna be a lot but I mean we'll we'll figure out a format where (laughs) hopefully it, it works but um yeah I'm doing a studio visit next Friday with Kim Hastrader who founded paper magazine and she's kind of been like a mentor to me. So we'll see how it goes. Like I I just always do this to myself where I'm like, I don't want to start something new. I need to just chill. And then I just do. And it usually hard. (laughs) I know we'll see. We'll see. I really want to make it work, but I'm also definitely aware of the reality that it's, you know, we originally we were like, we're going to have 24 hour streaming seven days a week of animation. And then I'm like, girl, are you out of your damn mind? Like animations are like three minutes long. So now our meeting today is going to be like, realistically, how can yeah, we do what it? are we doing? Also, how do we fund it? We're like talking to we're trying to get brands to make commercials for it. I don't even know. We'll see. <laughs> I think that. Having the TV is cool for you because you said that you really love shooting videos and like, um, like the studio visits you're doing on that camera that you were talking about before. Um, so it's probably actually really great for you to to do it because you can tap into uh, what you really like to do. Yeah, I think so, and I I haven't done that in a really long time. I stopped doing video. I don't know when. A while ago years ago and so we'll see I think it'll be fun <laughs> what do you what do you do in your personal time to kind of separate from all it is that you do like within uh, the art world but also with like busy in your personal um, business it's really hard it's really hard to turn it off because I you know can do it at home. Like I'll, God, I'll check an email at like 11 o'clock and I'm like, Milo, what are you doing? Just wait for the, it's nighttime. It's not like office hours. It's really hard for me to separate, which in some ways is good. And in some ways for my mental health is not good, but yeah, I like going to the movies and drawing and writing, but I need to really make a conscious choice to be better about giving myself time to do that kind of stuff solo time even like going for a walk or like any of that stuff is like so important uh because the separation like um having that time makes you almost like crave then doing the work more than if you're just like a hundred percent of the time like that's all you do you just have burnout absolutely and i live near prospect park so i do go on a lot of walks and i I got into bird watching over the pandemic. Cool. So I'm doing that. 
And then I also have another job. I work for a jewelry designer and that's oh, been wow. really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I was the event programmer at Picture Room. And then I had a moment where I was like, I really want to try to do Dizzy full time. So I quit and I went to Japan. Pandemic pretty much started like half a year after that. And um, yeah, so that shifted. And I guess like a year into the pandemic, I was like, I need a job and this isn't financially sustainable. So I got this job and it's kind of like what you're saying, having solo time, having time doing something for somebody else felt so fucking good. I was like, yes, Mm -hmm. tell me what to do and I can go home and I can not think about it. And I love it. And I was having a major existential moment where I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? It's so much work, but I think it does help me be productive when I'm not working for Ted. Ted Muling is his name. So it kind of helps in some ways. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, my full time practice right now is I'm a, I'm a graduate student um, studying to be a therapist. And <gasps> wow, that's so cool. Yeah, thank you. I'm about to start in uh, September full time uh, interning at a intensive outpatient uh, rehab on the West side. And Amazing. like, being told what to do and having like intensive like work for other people makes you like want to do your personal work and like cherish that time so much more so I really do 100% feel you like yeah if I was trying to make a podcast work and be this monetary thing at all times I would resent the shit out of it I would hate it I know I know that's so cool that you're doing that that's amazing It, it finding the balance is hard really hard I mean I would love for Mishu and Dizzy to be something that I could you know make a living doing but it's not there actually it can be doing it for a long time it's still not there yet but that's okay have you been is it five years you've been doing it for I the the first issue of Dizzy came out in 2017 so yes but we started working on it in 2016 um so yeah and then Mishu's been a year but, you know, I know that there were avenues that I could have taken and things that I could have done to maybe get more money or, like, be more kind of, like, corporate in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. And I don't really know how to do that. But I'm just trying to keep doing what I love <laughs> and make money other ways. I think you're, you're doing it the right, the right way because uh, it's genuine. And also... Uh, I think it's really cool that you found a relationship with, I think you said her name was Kim. Yeah. And that she, I, I, I know of her um, and you had mentioned she started paper, which was in the eighties or whatever. So she must have such expertise. So, um, you know, I'm just meeting people. I'm sure you'll like be able to um, gain a lot of knowledge in the field. I mean, you did it not knowing like, you just did it because you wanted to. You didn't do it because you were like, we're going to make money with this. And we're going to yeah, No way. <laughs> Nobody going to make money with the print magazine. Except Kim. That woman created an empire. She's so badass. Dude, yeah. She has so she much has one of. She has one of the most, I think it's that. Uh, she has one of the most iconic 
covers of all time. She has like the Kim Kardashian I know. popping the champagne. Like, I know. She's told me crazy. the story about that. It's so crazy. But I yeah. think that Kim was really smart in a business sense where she was getting, for example, and I know this might sound like a really small detail, but she was putting celebrities and big people on the cover and she was doing editorial and like fashion and photo shoots for the cover. And Dizzy is always like an artwork on the cover. And I think that that actually does make a big difference um, in the way things sell, but that's what Dizzy is. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that well, cover is crazy. That cover is so crazy. Like that was big news, but yeah, uh, I, I agree with you obviously. Cause it's like, it's like clickbait, but like in person, it's like, yeah. what, is, what is this cover? I need that. Um, yeah. But with yours, I would probably taint the integrity if it's just like, we're going to go shoot Tom Cruise and like throw him <laughs> on this, but it has nothing to do with I think that Dizzy just like not having anything fashion related changes it. And, hmm. you know, I've had people reach out like about doing editorial or styling stuff like that and i've never done that before but that does change certain things and paper had a big fashion aspect to it which is amazing because the way she did it is so fucking cool she's a genius but yeah they're different. yeah i feel like that's a that's a fun read like that like the fashion element is definitely good you were you were with uh ali though you were running like was that more it was like you would do like kind of a spread of like stylistic. Oh, yes. Um, yes. The style page. We always have the style page. That's true. What am I talking about? But our style page is like a person's T-shirt collection or something like that. Mm-hmm. We've done a few that are like that with yeah, Ali Bo and Julian of Stray Rats. And then the Jamaica issue was um, this. Ten, how old is she? Eight, nine, ten. Um, her hairstyles. So yes, oh, that's cool. true. We have a style page. That's true. <laughs> is everyone that you work with like close friends? Like, do you have like a good collective of people around you that um, help work on Dizzy? Because of the more recent issues being country specific, I've tried to hire writers and photographers that live in those countries, hmm. partially because of, you know, that it makes more sense, but even more so that I feel like if I'm doing an issue in Jamaica, it's important to also have the people behind the scenes. 100%. Um, so, but with Mishu, I have more of a team. Like with Mishu, I have Kayla and I have um, some writers that will do a piece in each issue. And Jen Shear is a friend of mine. She does a lot of layout. She's amazing. Um, but I think the people that were hanging with me at the fair are mostly just my friends. <laughs> yeah, very supportive though. That is important. Yeah, I feel like uh, just like if you're able to work with your friends, it makes life so much better, especially yeah. like uh, a business. Well, listen, thank you. It was I so really nice appreciate- talking and meeting you. Thank you for asking me to do this. It's nice to be like recognized for what I do. So I appreciate it.